Hello! Hi guys! Welcome to another episode of... Cosmicala Dulces! Uh, I guess it's been a little while since we've recorded one. Um, what have we been doing lately? I don't know, what have you been doing? Uh, a lot of job searching and got a new job, bar backing, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Temba got hired at the restaurant that I work at as a server, and now we do literally everything together. Is that weird for you? <laughs> I don't think it's weird. It remains to be seen if it's going to be too much, but I'm willing to just see <laughs> rather than assume that I know if it's going to be too much or not. Oh. But at the end of the day, I mean, the reason I, you know, recommended you for the job and wanted you to have the job is because it's good, easy money. Yeah. As far as jobs go. And I see, I've seen you, like, hating the other work that you've had to do or, like, having to hustle to find jobs. And what I've learned in the year that I've worked as a server, which is really something I never considered doing in my life. I was, I did it in high school and I thought, you know, I'll probably stay out of food service if I can as an adult. Mm Mm-hmm. But I got this job as a server, and it's actually freed me up to do so many creative things this year. And feeling that in myself, being like, wow, I can go to my job, I can check in, and then I can literally check out and not think about it at all after I'm done with it. And give all the money that I'm making to my art and all of my extra energy to my art and nothing else. It's been an incredible blessing and gift to me. Yeah, that is kind of amazing. And like we've talked about before on the podcast, being able to walk to work in Los Angeles is a huge boon. Just not having to like sit in traffic and have the stress of commuting. Um, Be a part of my daily life has been major for me. So I don't know. I guess for me, like uh, having learned, wow, this is really working for me. I have all this time money and energy now to really focus on my creative projects, which I didn't have when I was hustling a little more for the past four years or whatever, mm-hmm. Se- seven years, whatever it's been, <laughs> a lifetime of hustling. All the time. Um, then it's been kind of nice to see that. And I wanted to extend that to you too. I mean, I, like what's mine is yours, obviously always. Yeah. So it was just like, well, when this oppor- job opportunity came up, I, I like immediately felt like you should have it because it's hard work. You just started this week. Yeah. It's hard work, but the environment, I think, is one of the better work environments there could be for food service, in my experience, my very, like, small experience. <laughs> but, st- you know, I worked, I've worked an ice cream truck for years and years. I don't know. It seems like it's a pretty good work environment. You get to walk to work. The money's good. Which is all nice. Yeah. It's definitely chiller than my first food service job. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, I appreciate all of your support and efforts and helping me find another Yeah, you know, maybe job. like maybe I'll just skip out of work for a little while while you while you make the bar backing money and we can focus on putting more energy into our business so we both don't have to have a job. Fuck yeah. That would be ideal, <laughs> but it remains to be seen. And I don't know. Yes, part of me thinks like it's maybe like a little too much for us both to be working the same job, but we're also not really taught. We don't really talk. Yeah, we don't interact really that There's much. not really a chance to interact at work the way that the things are set up and I don't know. It's just whatever. It's a job. I don't know. Jobs, have, to, to me, jobs are always just like they're separate from life. Like when I go there, I'm an automaton. Like I do, <laughs> I do the like emotional effective labor that you have to do as a server and I get along with my coworkers, and you know, do the the banter, chat, and friendly friendly 
banter that is a part of the daily life, but I don't have a lot more to give than that to the job, you know? Yeah. It's how I kind of, like, met out my time and energy so that I can sustain my, like, life outside of work, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I hopefully you like it. Yeah, it's been chill. Everyone, everyone so far has been super nice. Um, so, yeah, so far so good. It'll be interesting to see what happens next. Now you'll, we'll both kind of have more, like, funds and money to hopefully move about more freely and travel more, I hope. Bring it on. That's, yeah, part of the goals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we've also been doing more with Sacred Sadism. We had our big VACBED uh, video come out like a month ago, I believe. Yeah, with Zoe and uh, her show Sex Stuff. On Super Deluxe. Um, so if you guys listen to our podcast and maybe don't follow any of our other social media stuff, definitely go to Sacred Sadism. You can watch the full video on our Instagram TV, on our Sacred Sadism Instagram. And it's basically Temba and I teaching Zoe how to use a latex back bed, which is a piece of like fetish BDSM sex furniture. And we're teaching her how to use it. We're teaching her the risks associated with it. And we're letting her get inside it doing this floral human pressed floral arrangement method that I've come up with that I don't think anyone has ever well I've never seen anyone do before yeah I haven't seen it either um so we're showing that and it's a really beautiful video and it's been very pretty popular doing pretty well yeah yeah so that's been really exciting and fun and cool and yeah fun to see what comes out of that what else we did our first tabling event for sacred sadism that was fun at naval naval space I think it's naval LA naval LA um which is, like, a cool, like, queer art space. Um, so it was nice to, yeah, be able to have people see the tools and touch, touch them. them in real life. It's, like, you know, it's one thing to see them on Instagram or on the website, but to, like, actually get to experience them is a whole nother thing. A mm-hmm. lot of people have been, like, oh, do you sell them in our part? Or is there a physical location in my part of the world where I can come see them? We're like, oh, sorry. We're working on it, but, but not yet. Yeah, we'd like to yeah, travel around, maybe do some pop-ups and yeah. fun stuff and workshops, definitely. It was also just really fun to watch people, like, look at the plants, walk up to a table and think they're just looking at a table of, like, succulents for sale. Like, remember, um, yeah. I don't remember, someone out there I was talking to was like, oh, I thought you guys were just selling plants. I'll come over and look, <laughs> you know? Um, because the pieces are really lifelike and realistic looking. And I have c- people, like, come up and, of course, like, there's, like, a series of questions that we get, like, again and again about sacred sadism and the tools that we make. And one of them is, like, how do you keep the plants alive? Are they real? Yeah. <laughs> people people just assume that they're like real plants half the time. I don't know half the time, but we get a like pretty good number of people who are a like, lot. how do you water them? Like, how, so, so do how they die? They or <laughs> Which is really interesting. I mean, it's like, yeah, I guess when you come up with an idea, you just can never expect what, people, yeah, how what... it's going to be perceived. Yeah. It's like, they don't look that real. But, I mean, <laughs> real enough, you know, like, I don't know. I guess there's a lot of fake plants and we that do look realistic and we try to choose ones that are, like, really high quality. Yeah, and maybe not a lot of people, like, are exposed to, like, plants and gardens maybe. in their everyday life. I mean, yeah, I mean, for, for myself um, in particular, I, I'm, like, in my garden every day, so I'm mm-hmm. looking at, like, real-life plants all the time. It's a very big part of my world, but for some people that might not be a reality, you know. Sure, they're not, like, tuned into that. 
But so that's one of the questions we get a lot. So it's been really interest. That was really interesting to table and have people come up and have their. You could literally see this like thing behind their eyes happen. The wheels turning. Where, yeah. When we explained to them that they were BDSM tools, like watching them be like, whoa, <laughs> like flip uh, this switch, oh. <laughs> and then have it make like so much sense to them too. Like as you watch them, kind of like grasp the idea and then be like, whoa, this makes so much sense. Or like, wow, I never thought of that. It's very, like, it was very cool and gratifying and fun for us, I guess, to, like, get to physically witness that. Because people talk to us online about that a lot. Mm -hmm. I felt like it was really fun to just, like, watch people go through that first-time experience with the tools. Yeah, it's it's something about that, yeah, one-on-one interaction is, like, Mm -hmm. it's good. That in-person And getting to, like, talk to people about the sensations that they're feeling, especially if people aren't maybe used to certain BDSM sensations. Be like, here's what a thud is, here's what a sting is, and, like, get to test that out with them and have them understand that there's a whole, like, world to it beyond just, like, people with leather and whips. Yeah. You know, it's kind of just fun to show that, that aspect of the project, too. So that was cool. I liked seeing that. And then one thing, like, like, speaking of, like... Things that come up. Yeah, things that come <laughs> up. We had, like... I mean, we always get some, like, pretty interesting questions, and so I decided to finally go onto our website and update our Frequently Asked Questions section, because I'm like, you know, I could probably save myself a lot of DMs if I just made a link to this, uh, to the questions that we get all the time. So I'll pull some of those up. I have to read them off the website. What, what do you feel like you hear a lot? Um... Well, the real thing, definitely. I feel like there's a lot of questions that we do answer on the Frequently Asked Mm -hmm. that maybe people haven't been to the website yet or just didn't click on that tab. Yeah. That's not usually the first thing I click on when I go to someone's website. Only if I'm really, like, deep studying people. I feel like the biggest things we get are... Are your tools eco-friendly? And we've been confused for eco-friendly toys, which was, like, kind of painful to reckon with at the beginning when we first launched. Eco, is your work ecosexual? Are you ecosexuals? And are your objects vegan? So, for the ecosexual question, like we've decided to kind of like use a different term, which our friend Michelle Luke uh, coined for us, which is eco fetishistic. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, what which do you is, think differentiates that from ecosexual? Um, for me, I guess eco fetish is more under the kink umbrella. Like, because that's kind of what we are. We're, like, specifically under BDSM, we're just uh, using more of a plant-based aesthetic Mm -hmm. for BDSM tools, where I think eco-fetish can fall under eco-sexual, but it's a a distinct difference, like, that this is is a kink practice, these are kink tools that um, are just modeled after plant life. Yeah, and I feel like it can, like, speak to that desire to be, like, sexual with or in nature. It kind of speaks to that, like, overarching umbrella, but mm-hmm. it's about, it's like a specific way of implementing that or thinking about those, that, that, um, attraction or, um, I don't know, proclivity towards, like, being in nature yeah. with your sexuality. By nature, we mean, I guess, the woods, the outdoors, the... The great outdoors, we'll say, <laughs> since right now we're in our bedroom and that's also nature, but... Yeah, city's nature. So by nature, I think we really mean the great outdoors. Yeah. In a way. The, that kind of language is really important, I think, to us to be specific about, too. I feel like you bring this up a lot whenever people say nature. 
um, to be like, well, we are nature. Everything we create yeah. is nature. What do you mean by nature? Yeah. Like, <laughs> all of this is natural because mm-hmm. um, we're natural. We are part of nature. Nothing is separate from it. It's mm-hmm. just, yeah. It's like... So we focus like specifically on, and this is why I like saying eco-fetish too, is because in a sense we're fetishizing the aesthetics of nature. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and fetish is a word that has like a really broad connotation at this point too. It came from like a very specific, uh, time and place and, a, like colonial mindset of, uh, people and their religious fetish objects. And now it's morphed into like fetish is like, okay, you need this one thing or you can't get off your sexuality completely pivots on this one thing or, or myriad of things that you need to be sexually satisfied. But the way I think people use it now is really broad fetishizing Meaning just, I don't know, I guess, attributing sexual sexuality to yeah. things that you wouldn't think as sexual or exclusively thinking of things as sexual. Yeah, definitely. I feel like now it's a very a hard slant to the sexual um, mm-hmm. interpretation of fetish. But what I like about the term eco-fetishism as a new term is that we can also kind of mold it to be all of those things. Like it can be something that actually does point to like its original intention which was like um colonialists going in and looking at the rare weird religious rites of um tribes in like northern africa and being like well what is this this is bad they're worshiping objects they're not worshiping god we're going to teach them to worship god but then going back to europe and creating the exact same system of like fetishization of objects and relics and all of this exact same thing Mm -hmm basically appropriating it and using it in their own religion in their own way but saying it's really bad when these people do it but we kind of like it in the way that we do it um which is fucked it's like super fucked but of course that's like in a sense like really important to think about when you think about bdsm too because bdsm is about power exchange you know and domination and all of that is like inherent to it so there's something very like to me really powerful about the word fetish when you break it down you break down the etymology and the history of it and start thinking of, like, the broader meaning. Like, there's the pop cultural meaning, and then there's the history of the meaning. So I like that word, and I like using that in lieu of ecosexual for our line, because it, like, points to everything else that we're thinking about when we're making this stuff. Absolutely. I feel like we're so lucky that Michelle was, like, inspired yeah. to yeah. kind of put that word together. And, like, because, yeah, before we were we were saying more, like, ecosexual, and then when she said put that uh, put out eco fetish we're like oh yes that's it that's it yeah <laughs> it makes a lot more sense and it really like hones in on the specificity of i guess what we're doing yeah way more and it's that's like, and that's like kind of vital when you're trying to invent when you have invented something yeah. is like leading people to go down that path with you and in, in the way that's as specific as you want it to be mm-hmm. and granted everyone's going to branch off and ask all these weird questions about what they think <laughs> it is but that's just like part of art people it's open to interpretation people are going to interpret it however they want to but what i love about language is that it's gonna if you if you're able to hone the language you're really going to lead people down the path that you want them to go down with you yeah and help yeah get exactly what it is you're trying to convey mm-hmm do you want to talk at all about that one individual who took issue with a name from one of our pieces, or do you not want to touch on that? Oh, um, I mean, I don't even know if I re- want to go into detail about that. I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, we could. It was... Um... Only because I think it's relevant to what we were just talking about, about this term fetish. Yeah. And this idea of, like, 
it being a, a, a term of colonization and oppression at the end of the day. So, yeah, someone uh, commented on one of our, like, went into the, I don't know how deep it was, but it was, they, I feel like it was fairly, they went fairly deep into our Instagram feed and found a picture of one of our paddles, which is called the colonizer, and uh, said something about, I guess I can try to find it. They, were like, they said something about, like, don't you think it's a little dangerous to use this term? I know one of you is a person of color, but... Is that okay to say that? It was It was just like, uh, it seemed like someone who was kind of reaching, like they had gone deep into our Instagram and were reaching to find something to... Oh, it looks like they deleted it. Oh, they deleted it. <laughs> well. Good for them. Good for them. Because um, it's embarrassing what they said. Yeah, there was, it was like, yeah, they just, it was some fucking like... Fired was, up social justice warrior was coming to try to pick from a, from the UK from the UK a white, a white person a white, from the UK yeah. on Juneteenth came onto our platforms like I know one of you is a person of color but do you think it's a little irresponsible call your thing the colonizer um, to which Tumblr responded this I mean this is a a name that we didn't choose lightly for one of our pieces we chose this name because it points to what the, like, underbelly of the project is. Yeah, very specifically, because the paddle is made of out of mahogany, and we both looked up mahogany wood because we're curious, like, what's the story with mahogany wood? And uh, it was something that Europeans uh, found in uh, the Caribbean islands, and it was a wood that they really liked, and they were exporting it in mass from... Uh, like, uh, I might get this wrong, Hispaniola, which is the original name for the colony of Haiti, um, Jamaica, and other, other places in the West Indies. Um, and that's where we came with the name of the colonizer. We're like, well, this is perfect. And it speaks to like those power dynamic roles, which sometimes play out between um, BDSM practitioners. Um, and it's also a way of taking a term that you have been directly affected by in yeah. your life. I mean, like, I have a right to use this term however I want to, to highlight the fact that power exchange, BDSM, and domination are things that we are we play with and we have the freedom to play with, but have not always, not every person has ever had the freedom to play with that. Yeah. And especially those who've been victims of colonization and people coming in and literally, you know, pillaging the land for whatever they needed or wanted at that time and using their power to do that. That's, I mean, essentially what was happening with the mahogany trade, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's just funny that this person, a white British person on Juneteenth, and if you don't know what Juneteenth is, that's the day that slaves were actually freed in this country, like, came to try to take issue with this. Um, and, yeah, I, w I went to explain to them like in you, in the D well, like after my comment explaining like where the name comes from, and like basically being like, I, hey, as a person who's directly affected by the colonization of the West Indies, because your family is from, is from Trinidad, Trinidad. Yeah. Um, I, I reserve the right to call it wherever the fuck I want, and even if I wasn't, like, who the fuck are you to come and say police like the u the use of the word colonizer from the fucking English Empire like you're you're part of the one of the biggest colonization forces that we've known, um, but they seem to think it was quote dangerous or yeah. something to use that word and that to me is like very interesting because it I guess as like a white person I can I have to try to 
find where I relate to where this person is coming from, mm. you know, because I've definitely had different phases in my life, times in my life where I felt the justice, you know what I mean? Been like, mm-hmm. how, let me just, like, I remember coming at someone on Twitter about using the word savage, which is a word where I grew up is like something people say about Native Americans. It's not something that you like say lightly, but I understand that in pop culture, that's not how it's like understood. Mm-hmm. I went for someone on Twitter. Really? Did I need to do that? Is like, is that like necessary was that something that taught someone a valuable lesson Eh, at the end of the day no not really what does it really solve so i try to understand like okay i've definitely been in that place where i think i'm being justice and help and like just and helping people but like coming at a person of color who's like chosen to take this term and use it how they want to through creative expression like that's just never that's just like never a good look or a good like a thing to do and this person like was trying to, like, change the argument to, like, being against, like, uh, like, slave, like, slave and master play or race play in BDSM, and this person's, like, got a well-followed, like, business on Instagram, and they claim to make fetish objects, and they clearly have no understanding of what true BDSM is, because they're trying to say that race play is wrong, and that master-slave dynamics are wrong, and that they hurt people, like, well, no, if people are actually being abused or hurt, that is not BDSM, that is straight-up abuse. Like, consensual race play, there's nothing wrong with it. I do not partake in many forms of race play because they are not things that I find enjoyable, but I don't have any problem with any white or black person that engages in that play consensually. That That is their business, that's their thing to do on their terms, like... I, I just, it, it really baffled that my mind that they, I mean, they're probably just using fetish in their thing because fetish is it's, really trendy. It's and a like snappy kink, word. Kink it's, is trendy. It's, 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 yeah, it's dangerous. It's, ooh, yeah, we're make, I'm making fetish things. But mm-hmm. if you're going to label your shit that, you should really understand what the fuck you're talking about. And, well, and, unfortunately, that's not like, yeah. that's really not the atmosphere for like, mainstreamed BDSM in this moment because BDSM has become mainstream in recent times in the past four years it's really like come out of the closet in a big way so it is trend now yeah I mean it's it's like a form of BDSM is in the public eye but it still isn't like a true form of BDSM it's like we've got like 50 shades of gray which is like this weird abusive like Mm -hmm. rescuer story Mm -hmm. and um yeah it's still even even though it's it's more it's like it's being talked about more but i feel like it's still um it's still treated in not the best way i guess mm-hmm. i don't know if that makes sense i think it's still coming it's like coming into mass consciousness it's, yeah it's coming uh, it's on the way as slowly as i can and i truly hope that what we do and what like fellow educators who we follow and and know are doing is bringing ethical consensual kink into the mainstream Mm -hmm. you know people have been doing that work for years decades before we you know came and decided to be public about it too you know yeah for sure it's work that is in a continual process of becoming but yeah that was a that was just dumb it's stupid (laughs) it's just amusing 
You were amused. I was kind of like, don't feed the oh, trolls, but, you know. Fucking bring the social justice warriors on. I don't... Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't say that on this podcast, but... Well, if I've that's got how a unique, you feel. unique perspective on it. Like, she's like, shut the fuck up. Like, yeah. some stuff is worth definitely, like, going after and fighting for, which is, like, this, like, crazy policing on the internet. And well, and I, like, I do think... Get the fuck out of here. I also do think there's something, like... I think what comes to mind is, like, I don't know if you saw this, like, Kanye saying slaves chose to be slaves, but then there was another person, a black person who worked at TMZ, who, like, called him out on it, was like, no, Mm -hmm. that's one thing. Like, that's different. That's him being like, dude, you're way off. Yeah. And I'm coming from a perspective that, well, maybe he's not, like, rich and famous like Kanye, is more similar to Kanye than a white person trying to tell Kanye, hey, stop doing that. You know what I mean? That's, like, when it's, like, okay, yeah, maybe talk to that person. They can have their opinion, but be, like, hey, it kind of hurts me that you're, like, a person with influence saying this thing. Yeah. That's a different thing. And I, but I do, I feel like a white person who's not from America, <laughs> or, like, say, telling you how you can and can't use the word colonizer, it's pretty, like, it sounds like they were just, like, a little triggered. <laughs> so just t- their own white guilt. More you know? tone-deaf bullshit. Like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, that's one of the things that, I don't know, these are all, like, things that I, um, while annoying and difficult in the moment, I really love that, like, that's the point of the project, too. Yeah. (laughs) That's why we named it the colonizer and not the silly slapper, you know? Invoke thought about, like, yeah, where where your material is coming from, Mm -hmm. like... What's the history behind this shit? Like, and, like, that being said, we don't... It's not like that's all that we're doing. We're also trying to create something playful and fun. We're trying to create something where, like, people are gonna start looking at power exchange yeah. and their will to dominate or their will to submit. And, like, we would just want, like, more people who maybe thought they kind of were into that, but no, no, it's not for me because of this, this, that, or the other reason. Maybe it just opens them up to start thinking about these things. Because it can change who you... It can really, like, change the way that you relate to other people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, I mean, that be, that being said, we don't do all of that, like, you know, no one's, no one's like, able to do any of that perfectly, you know? So we no. also get these other <laughs> questions, which, like, okay, anti-colonization, anti-oppression, but are you eco-friendly? Well, <laughs> not really. Uh, We'd love to be. There, there, but is, what is, yeah. Yeah, what is eco-friendly? Like and I looked that up, you know, when, it, when, when we're getting these inquiries, hey, we want to write a piece about eco-friendly toys and we have to look at ourselves and be like we can't say that we're an eco-friendly company that's not honest we could and people would probably believe it because that's what a lot of companies that call themselves eco-friendly do we're not going to do that keep it 100 so on our (laughs) eco-friendly thing you know we said we all we buy things you know we buy glue we buy plants we don't make the plants and we can in no way like say that the people who make those things are being eco-friendly ethical or like you know we have no idea what their manufacturing processes are like and i don't think i I just don't think anyone except the people who like sew their own clothing shear their own wool like are really living off the land can say that they're eco-friendly or Mm -hmm. ethical because there is no ethical consumption or capitalism it's one of the first comments on our instagram that i was like (laughs) yes "Yes, i know you're trying to get me but we are totally on board with you. Like, it's absolutely true. We're not trying to save the world by making things. That's not what, what's going to save the world per se. But hopefully getting people to think about the things that we are hoping they'll think about. Yeah. Can change something. I don't know. Hopefully. I don't know. Maybe we just have to save your <laughs> complexes. I can't. I don't know. And what else do we get a lot? We also get this question about whether our objects are vegan. And we got that question like very specifically a couple of weeks ago. 
What was your reaction when you got that? Uh, I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I feel like I was, like, kind of nervous to respond because I guess, like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt, like, nervous because I would say, like, a, from what I can tell, like, when we get new followers, if it's not, like, too many in a row, we'll, we'll check out every follower and be like, who is this? Are they interesting? Maybe we'll follow them on our other accounts if we if we feel a connection or whatever. But um, a lot of them are vegan, we notice when we check mm-hmm. on, like, their little bio. A lot of people are vegan, vegan, vegan. So we have a ton of vegan followers, which is interesting for us because we don't believe, I mean... There is, like, if veganism is the principle that, what what is, like, veganism is the I mean, principle? I guess, uh, I'd say my main, my main, well, yeah, I guess, I, I hear what you're saying, but, like, you were kind of, like, nervous to answer it, because veganism is not something either of us, um, su- subscribe to, and, I mean, I- it's fine, I think you should do whatever you want, but I think there's a huge problem with a lot of vegans, which t- take it from, like, a moralistic stance, um, because there's like, there's just, there's just no, like you, you set up like this hierarchy of living beings, like, okay, this one has eyes, so it's better than a piece of lettuce. Mm-hmm. Well, a, le- a lettuce plant is a living being just because it doesn't like experience the world the same way as something that can actually move through 3d space on its own accord, like a deer or a cow doesn't make that creature any less valuable or um alive or conscious um like if you look into any of the research that's coming out on plants right now all plants communicate with each other through like a mycelial network and they allocate resources to other plants in the forest that aren't doing as well as them and it's not just like the pine tree gives nutrients to the other pine tree the pine tree gives nutrients to the little poison ivy plant that's not doing as good it's cross species it's like these pl- plants, symbiotic yeah, plants are alive. They're communicating with each other. They're helping each other. Like they're they scream when they get cut. Yeah, the, they found they found some evidence that they actually like. It's not sound so much, is it, or is it like a sense or a hormonal thing? Uh, oh, that was a. I think that was acacia trees. Like when giraffes eat acacia trees, they release. Um, uh, they tell. They release a scent, I think, that tells the trees downwind that there's a predator eating them, and they actually change their chemical makeup to make their leaves taste worse to the giraffe. I mean, that's wild. Like, um, but but to get back onto the thing, like, I one hundred percent don't agree with factory farming, but like to be a vegan, you have to eat a lot of vegetables. And if you're buying those vegetables from a grocery store, you are supporting factory farming. Mm -hmm. And not only are you supporting factory farming, places like Whole Foods uh, employ prison labor, which is slavery, straight up slavery. Like there are plantations and completely staffed by inmates, which is slavery. You are supporting slavery to pick those uh, vegetables that you eat. And I just don't understand, like, how you can take this moralistic stance saying, like, oh, I'm saving the planet. I'm doing better by only eating plants. Like, you're directly supporting this slave state of black and brown people. Mm -hmm. And not only that, like, you're 
also eating living beings still. Like, life yeah. eats life. Plants eat us. They eat our bodies as they decompose and other things' bodies. Like, there is no clean or safe or... Plus, there's tons of, like, insects that are killed and yeah. other ground, ground, groundhogs. Ground-nesting birds, fawns, like, all combines eat up all that shit. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, it, millions and billions of insects are killed. Like, those are living creatures, too. Like, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, it, it's, it's like people, and I will say myself included, I think most of us, like, if you're, when you're, tra- anytime you're trying to make ethical choices, you're making ethical choices just about as far as you can see. Yeah. You know? And that's, I mean, that's as far as you can see. If you want to look into it and do this research, you'll find out, shit, it's really fucking hard to do anything ethically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like, I I mean, I'm going to be honest, I haven't had, like, a lot of conversations in my life with vegans who have a moral stance, but I work at a restaurant that serves a lot of vegan food, and I can say that I've um, served a lot of people who work with, like, PETA, um, and oh a, God! <laughs> and, a, and a lot of I think just a lot of people who do who do really pride themselves on their veganism, and yet as a service worker, I've been treated like utter shit by these people. Not all, not all vegans. Mm-hmm. Not all vegans. Hashtag not, not all vegans. vegans. But, but that's I will true just say too. it's it just isn't. it's one of those things where it's like I it's it's a real soapboxy kind of life choice. And it's. It's straight up turned into an ideology. Like, mm. people don't even know what the fuck they're talking about. They're just, like, parroting the they'll shit. Re- they'll read one clickbait yeah. that says going vegan uh, saves 50,000 gallons of water a year. And they're like, okay, I'm vegan now or something. Whatever it is. Whatever the clickbait is, that that's going to tell them that they're making the right choice. That they can, like, shine their fingernails on their best yeah. about. It's just... And it's not that there's anything wrong with being vegan. It's more like this moralistic like ideological like stance that some vegans have um i think you should eat whatever the fuck you want you should be aware of the impact that what you eat has um like but i mean that being said we buy our foods from like 365 and trader joe's like these are choices that we've made because we live in an urban environment it's also a choice we've made that's the easiest way for us to source our food besides the very small amount of food that we grow in our own garden. Mm-hmm. Ideally, I think both of us would love to be hunting our own food. Hunting and growing our own growing food. Growing our own like, food, raising our own meat, the, chickens and eggs. Yeah, the most ethical thing you can do is grow and harvest that shit yourself. Like, I feel super strongly about hunting mm-hmm. and... Um, growing my own food like that's yeah those are hard lifestyle goals for me absolutely and i mean i grew up i mean we grew up i think i don't remember if i've talked about this on the podcast but i grew up eating roadkill as my main source of protein and this was something as a kid that i had like a lot of shame about because roadkill has a certain connotation mm-hmm. the connotation of roadkill when you hear that is like some backwoods yokels scraping a smelly skunk off the road and making drumsticks out of it or something (laughs) because they're so poor that that's all that they can afford or whatever um and granted i I didn't grow up wealthy uh i think it was part of just my dad's mindset of freeganism which i like realize now i think that's like a huge word he's like hugely um frugal just like doesn't want to spend money because he's an artist and he doesn't have a lot of money but one way to, like, make that work, too, is, like, dumpster diving, which was a big part of my how my dad got food for us. And um, 
like commodity uh, meat and food was also a big part of my diet growing up, which was that we lived near the Red Lake Indian Reservation where like a lot of, um, part of like the deal when they stole their land was giving commodity food to the reservations, which is like canned and boxed, like very low quality food, very, yeah. like almost like dog food, like really low quality really food, bad. their government provisions or whatever. Um, I don't actually know that much about how commodity food works or is distributed, but I imagine it's something like food stamps. It's like low income provisions. You don't get to choose the food. They like give you the food, I think. Mm. Do you know anything about it? Uh, not a whole lot. Well, so one thing then that Native Americans would do would be like go down the road and try to sell it, try to sell the government food as a way to make money for themselves Mm -hmm. just to have their own money. So my dad would buy commodities from some of the natives and he'd go to the dump and also just like pick food from the dump that was still in cans (laughs) all of this is like i don't know it's stuff that like i was always really really embarrassed about as a kid because my mom also had like a job and but you know bought food but this was like a thing that my dad would do to like supplement the food Mm -hmm. we had or maybe it came out of a scarcity thing because like him and his mom had a hard time i think they had like food insecurity growing up i think it comes from like a food insecurity thing when like you don't always know where your food's gonna come from so you stockpile it to make sure you have it in case you don't um and then another thing was uh roadkill which like i am now like 100 percent a proponent of roadkill having seen the way that my dad uh butchers and like takes care of the meat and like the quality that the meat has to be in in order for it to be like edible and just, like, kind of seeing, like, oh, this is brilliant. This is, like, a scavenging technique. Yeah, it's a great way. And actually, I found out recently, a few years ago, I was in Vermont visiting my friend, and um, her neighbor was telling me about, like, how intense and competitive hunting season is in Vermont, Mm because there's only so many hunting licenses. Vermont's relatively small compared to, like, uh, Minnesota, I think, in terms of, like, huntable land. And, uh, that it's, like, super competitive. And then they also have, like, a raffle system for roadkill, there because that's how competitive like fresh venison is where like it's not at all like a stigmatized thing there it's like you get in a raffle and if there's a roadkill you're like get in line to get the the free meat because that meat is incredible meat like venison is the best like leanest one of the most heart healthy meats that you can eat really delicious and yeah if you get one one or two deer you're like set for the winter you know or the year or the, yeah, depending on how big your family is. Um, but I, brought, I, I guess I bring all that up, too, just uh, partially because, like, venison and roadkilled venison was such a huge part of my diet growing up that it's very incomprehensible for me to imagine living without meat. Mm-hmm. Have you ever, like, I, I mean, you, well, we'll get to your, <laughs> we'll get to your food history. But for me, because I felt like venison, red meat was, like, one of the main staples of my diet growing up, it's, like, very difficult for me to imagine not eating meat it's something yeah. i crave it's something i feel like my blood type needs where i'll be like yes i need my like burger once a week to feel good but i don't feel good about where my meat comes from i would much rather be sourcing it in some other way yeah, yeah. but that being said i live in los angeles one of the biggest cities in the u.s and these are the options i have and we could buy it from the farmer's market like last week but it's so expensive yeah and it's almost cost prohibitive to do that too it's a, it's, a, it's like a real investment it's true. But you Did, grew up with no meat. Yeah, I grew up uh, vegetarian for the first, like, ten or so years of my life. Um, my mom's always been, like, I don't think she was vegetarian for ethical 
reasons. I think my, at least the way I understand it, my mom's always, she's like one of those people that's always kind of like searching for the next best, like optimizing. She's like a body optimizer kind of a person. And I think she went vegetarian because, uh, she had read some book or heard about like, yeah, that being like super healthy option. Um, and yeah, it was pretty, pretty, pretty strict on that. Like we weren't allowed to have any sugar, no, yeah, no, nothing basically. Which, pretty, which must have created a scarcity syndrome of its own. Yeah. I mean, for sure. As soon as when I could pick what I want to eat, like I have a huge sweet tooth now, like oh, I yeah. fucking devour pastries <laughs> all fucking day. <laughs> Literally every day. And luckily I have a metabolism that can handle that. But... <laughs> I can't. And I have to like, not today, Tamba. Mommy can't do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely like kind of mind fucked me a little bit like I was like saw the stuff other people ate and I was just like I just want to know what that's like but uh, my growing up was also really weird too in the, in the fact that I was homeschooled so I didn't have a lot of like friends I guess you could say uh, so there wasn't a whole lot to compare it to but it was like you know I still had some uh like knowledge of like what was going on with other people like just like you I, had sugar cereal when you go to anyone's house. Um, no, they would kind. Of, I feel like they would kind of, they would kind of like talk ahead, like to whoever, to not give us candy, not give us Dang. shit like that, not let us watch TV. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was definitely definitely had like a scarcity mindset. Like I've told you this story before. Like my mom had her own massage practice for a while, and uh, one of her clients was from like a wealthy family on the east coast um i'll just say that <laughs> and um there they parked their car in our driveway because my mom had a home home office and the woman had like a bag of blow pops in like her center console and i fucking wanted to know what a fucking lollipop <laughs> was like so like i tried all the doors they were all locked of course and so i like went in the garage and got a fucking screwdriver i mean i, I was probably like six years old something like that i got a screwdriver and i like jammed it in the locks every single lock on her fucking mercedes and like turned it and, like fucked up all her locks and they found you out right uh yeah they i think I think our parents were like called us all out like hey do you guys know anything about this and of course I like had to fess up and I was like yeah I did it like, why would you what what did you do sugar. and why did you do it I'm just, <laughs> I just wanted a lollipop and you also had the Halloween where that you guys got the candy but then they hid the yeah, candy yeah our mom our mom our parents would take the candy away from us you, get, you got to go trick or treating but not eat the candy I mean um, it's not bad like sugar sugar is something i think i personally think i could do without in my life yeah i mean sugar everything in moderation i feel like yeah. sugar's in way too many things it's and in I everything eat too much sugar for sure um and yeah sugar's not good for you but i think also when you make make shit like forbidden then mm. you you've created like the scarcity thing where mm -hmm. that's like yeah your kids are going to obsess over this thing you say they can't have but mm -hmm. if you like Here's what it is. Here's when it's appropriate. Here, like, you don't need that all the time. You need vegetables and blah, 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 too. Yeah. You know, you, you have to trust your kids and, like, put things in perspective and, like, kind of lead by example instead of, like, this, don't you ever have this ever. So like, when did you first eat meat? And when did you first start getting meat and sugar? Uh, I'm pretty sure I, ha I had meat. I, like, my... <laughs> 
even though my mom was hardcore vegetarian, like, she's still, well, I guess she's, like, a raw foodist now, but she still would, like, eat steaks. Like, sometimes she'd now be craving that. a steak mm-hmm. and have one. But I think, I think our dad would take us for, like, fried chicken every once in a oh, while. Right. Like, so it wasn't a, so, to- it wasn't a total vegetarian. Yeah. I got it. Um, but, yeah, the first time I think I had, I mean, we, we would have, like, maple syrup with, like, pancakes and stuff. Yeah. So that was probably when I got, like, sugar, sugar. And we, we were allowed to have honey, too. Uh-huh. Uh, so we got, we had, like, those, like, I guess, unrefined sugars. I mean, like, maple syrup's kind of refined, though, hmm. in a way. It's not chemically refined. Didn't you refined, have, like, but... meat in Trinidad for the first time? Like, a hot dog and you vomited? Did I make that Oh, up? no. That wasn't, that wasn't Trinidad. That was, like, at a friend's birthday party oh. at a roller oh, rink. That's and right. I had a hot dog for the first time and definitely threw up. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's such an interesting perspective to come from, because then as an adult, I mean, it does, I, I would just imagine that, yeah, that does create this mindset of, like, now I'm going to try all this stuff. Yeah, I went buck wild. Yeah. I mean, I still don't, I like, if you looked in our fridge now, we we don't buy that much meat. Like, no. I, I usually, like, uh, when I was on my own, would if I was going to cook meat that night, then I would buy meat that day, because I, I don't know, I just... Something about having it lurking in the fridge, like, bothers me. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just, I want it as fresh as possible. Whereas um, I, I mean, we grew up so far out of town, so much of our food was, like, frozen or canned because you'd go and, like, stock up for, like, two weeks. I mean, granted, we went into town every day, but there wasn't a, like, plan, there wasn't, like, a plan of how food was going to be used. Mm-hmm. It was just like, all right, we have tons of food here for whenever people are home, because everyone was also on a different schedule, so there wasn't, like, meal time, you know? Yeah. Um, it just changed. I mean, it's very interesting, I guess, when we're talking about veganism, talking about diets, just, like, the way that lifestyle influences that so much, you know? I'm trying to imagine, like, going vegan with my lifestyle now. I guess it'd be easy because I work at a vegan restaurant. You work at a vegan restaurant. Yeah. We work at this, like, mostly, let's say, it's they call it, it's, like, a default vegan restaurant, but they have meat options <laughs> but they everything's vegan unless it says it's not even That's though they, like they junk serve vegan food it's total junk vegan food absolutely and it's like i feel like i mean there's some good stuff there is some good stuff if oh, you choose correctly but it's like yeah it's like well, vegan pizza shit. which like, is veganaise it's mostly just like soy which I think has been proven to be not that great for you yeah i mean it's gmo soy i might be i might i might be uh way remembering this completely wrong but someone told me once that the soy plant is the most genetically modified organism on the planet it would make sense i mean it's Um, used as like a filler for tons of stuff right i mean yeah isn't like taco bell meat like 30 percent soy or some shit tastes like it yummy Um, yummy yeah it's just soy riso (laughs) (laughs) um when you were a kid did did um did any, like, people in your school or whatever ever find out that you were, yeah. had, like, roadkill? Did they, like, um, make fun of you? Or, like, what was... You know, I can't remember... I can't remember, ex- like, exactly if I got teased. It might have been more that I was, like, terrified of ridicule for it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I was too open about it once and it got teased, and so I became, like, very afraid of talking about it again or something. I don't have a specific memory of being ridiculed. But my memory is, like, from maybe more, like, my teenage years when I started to become more self-conscious um, was just starting to look around me when I joined public school and, like, realize, like, oh, shit, my family's really different. 
yeah. this is scary because I see how kids who are different are treated. And I really was trying to be like closet, whatever was different about me to like survive school, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a common story, I think, for probably a lot of kids. And you're either good at closeting it, you're a good social actor, which, like, I do consider myself to be a good social actor. That's how you survive sometimes, depending on the circumstances, you know? I don't think you should rely on that as a lifestyle. But yeah. as a 13-year-old, I was able to be, like, uh, the well, maybe maybe I wasn't able to be, at least for, as like, for the first couple of years of public school, I was able to, like, try to appear normal, even though there was, like, inklings that I wasn't, but I found, like, a good group of, like, kind of weird girls to, like, be friends with who were, like, norm weird, you know, so it was, like, all good. And then later on in high school, I was, like, I don't actually care about any of this and stop trying, you know, Mm -hmm. to be normal, which is good, too. But, no, I mean, yeah, it was definitely just, like, a fear. I guess just, like, the biggest fear for me was always being, like, discovered as, like, poor, because that's, like, what I felt like all of those things added up to like Mm -hmm. superficially like the way that we lived the way that my dad chose to like be free again I mean yeah dumpster diving is not something I think most like 13 year olds are like rock and roll ready to like talk to people about you know (laughs) or whatever yeah roadkill all of that and those are just like stigmatizing things as an adult I feel like I really really embrace that culture and lifestyle now because I feel like I understand better what it means yeah and what it means is it it being an ethical choice it being a choice that takes you away from factory farming that takes you away from mass manufacturing that takes you away from slave labor it's like i got this shit in the dump i don't know it was at the end of the line but i'm gonna find a way to use it (laughs) i got these flowers out of the dumpster they were just gonna go rot and decompose but i'm gonna turn them into art I got this meat, it was smeared across the road, but I found the good cuts, and it's going to be my food for the next six months. Yeah. And knowing that for those periods of time and for those materials, you're not supporting any of the bullshit that this entire culture is built on. And to me, that's really, I mean, freeganism is, I like, I love the term freeganism because it's like what veganism isn't, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I mean, like, yeah, when you're taking shit that's about to go in a landfill, what's like not ethical about that. I mean, I guess unless you're, like, fucking up someone's property to break into their dumpster to get that stuff, which can be a choice that someone makes. Usually it's a corporate entity that whose property you're breaking, which, like, I have no qualms about, to be perfectly honest. Fuck them. Unless it takes (laughs) money out of the pockets of the underpaid workers, which sometimes it does. Hard to say. It's, like, hard to put all those pieces together all the time, but... Yeah. Well, not if they're throwing it away. But I guess if you, like, I guess, too, if you break it down, I mean, would that deer be killed if we didn't have these machines that hurtled down the road? You know, it's adjusting. Eventually. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) it would eventually. I mean, but every single thing about being a human, it's, like we're saying, like, it's part of nature. So we've evolved to create these machines that throttle down the road, and the deer is unexpectedly caught in the headlights, and then they're dead. Um, or you're dead or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, but that's, I mean, that's oh. part of nature. That's part of the evolution of the tools that we yeah. created. And it was even when it's an accident, you know, like that, or even when it's an intentional, when you're hunting, that's still a part of nature. Yeah. You know, absolutely. like all of that to me is way more ethical than being like, I'm so ethical. I only eat like bok choy that is not alive now. But it is alive. <laughs> but it is alive. <laughs> and you, and like, I don't know. Like, what was that, uh, uh, I forget, the journalist from Bennington, the Secret Life of Plants. Michael Pollan? 
Secret Lives of Plants. Michael the, Pollan. Yeah. Well, that that documentary and that book should be required reading for yeah anyone who's what does he get into ethically in going for plants. For it kind veganism. of you know I started reading it and I I had like five other books I was reading at the time, but the, it was like it started with like a tomato on a tomato truck is mm. what I remember I think, or it was like a, a potato or something like yeah. that in a truck on its way to the grocery store, and it shows like the life cycle of this plant that yeah. like, goes to the grocery store. I can't Chapter remember. one. And maybe it's not that one, but it's there was another one written by him that maybe I'm, I'm remembering it uh, incorrectly. Let me see if I can. Find I might a be list thinking of books. the the, the, um, bot, the botany of desire might be the book I'm thinking of. Maybe that's it. Uh, let's see. I'm pretty sure that's the one that I looked. At. Um, but uh, it was basically the book was making the argument that you know how we think we've been selectively breeding plants like for Ooh, sweeter yeah. peaches and sweeter apples and bigger carrots when in actuality plants have been using us and have been uh uh breeding us um i'm gonna sound like i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about until i find this uh <laughs> help me internet uh yeah you were ta- we were listening to some podcast about this was it um dennis mckenna was kind of talking about uh well they were talking about his new his new book the uh Mm -hmm. the one about i thought that was a really interesting concept which i'd never heard before but makes perfect sense to me and it makes sense to me too like through the lens of sacred sadism and thinking like oh we think we're the ones who are dominating nature or we're the ones who are like going in and exerting our control on this landscape that we've like become the kings of or something like that. And I Mm -hmm. really love this idea of like flipping that script and being like, no, you're being, you're the one being pruned and cultivated. Yeah. It's botany of desire. Yeah. 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 That's what I was thinking. Um, yeah. Thinking that we selectively grow and breed. I need to go back to that book and read it. But when in actuality that they might be doing it to us. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel like, and that really gives like this consciousness, consciousness and agency, and like thinking of the plants in that way instead of just being like, but they don't have eyeballs, so. And that's like this thing, and I guess I like go back to that all the time. But I do think that that is like a basic narcissistic central viewpoint of people who take like a moralistic standpoint on their veganism or vegetarianism or their anti-fur or whatever it is. I think it comes from a place of like they have eyeballs like us. And it, like, comes from a place of, like, seeing themselves in the animal. Yeah. In the living being. And if there's a living being you can't see yourself in, if you don't think a snake looks enough like you. Or, or a fish. fish so you're a pescatarian a <laughs> and that's fine. I, or a spider. Cockroaches are a great example because no one has a fucking problem killing a cockroach. Or mosquitoes. I don't care what yeah. you eat. Or spiders. Or what, yeah. Everyone's smashing the fuck out of I, them. I don't smash spiders, but everyone will kill a cockroach or an ant let's just say that you know they say who wouldn't harm an ant but if you live in la you harm an ant (laughs) this time of year when it's hot um i don't know i guess i just i I tend to think like that comes that type of like animal lover or whatever whatever you want to like make the broader term comes from like a narcissistic yeah there's like a distinct inability to recognize the consciousness of things that maybe don't mimic our form of life, mm-hmm. which is, like, I, I get frustrated with that all the time, too, when you talk to people who are, like, part of, like, SETI or, like, uh, yeah, What's SETI? L- uh, search for uh, 
extraterrestrial mm. something intelligence but mm-hmm. uh anyone who's looking for like life on other planets we're looking for all these signals that uh that mimic the ones we make like there's like this other this distinct inability to recognize that maybe life is way fucking different mm-hmm. than we are they probably mm-hmm. are there's probably like life from another dimensionality or anything like here already we just mm-hmm. can't recognize it because it's you definitely so get that different sense on certain psychedelics <laughs> what we are yeah, yeah. It is, it's just like yeah it's this hubris that everything has to be like us mm-hmm. or like look like look us. like us do Mimic similar us. things that I we mean, do like, even the language of like a plant screams when it gets cut is a way for us for people to like Oh, I scream when I get cut. Like I understand now, but it's way mm-hmm. it's, the the plant isn't actually screaming. It's just like a way of saying like they have a consciousness that's affected by alterations to their environment and their body and their cell on a cellular level or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. that's like the truth of it. But like it's like pe- humans need first like humans need to feel that connection that that other life form is as similar to them as they can like fathom. It's why we, like, project personalities onto our cats and dogs and stuff, too. Mm -hmm. Which is the most fun way. Anamorphizing. Yeah. Anamorphize the world. But, I mean, here's what we wrote about our objects being vegan or not. (laughs) Because we sat and we talked... Were we texting about it? Were we both there? Yeah, I think we were texting about it because I was at work. And we were just trying to figure out, okay, how do we do this? Because we want... This isn't a statement we need to make. We need to make it be honest and ethical. Obviously, I'm sure... A lot of our vegan followers would love to, for us to just be like, yeah, they're vegan. It's wood and plastic. There, mm-hmm. it's, there's no animal products. Vegan. But th- we don't see it as that simple. We don't see veganism as that simple. We don't really want to please people <laughs> just for the sake of pleasing people either. No. That's I mean, kind of like not... We're also not trying to like, yeah, completely turn people off too, but, but keep it real. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's like, also that's a great tenet to learn if you're just getting into BDSM is like, we're going to be really honest with you and you're either going to be able to like play with us or not, Yeah. but we're going to put it out on the table. Are your objects vegan? We don't claim to be a vegan company. To the best of our knowledge, we don't use products that come from animal sources. The wood we use is salvaged by a mill instead of going to a landfill that was undoubtedly home to millions of organisms. No beeswax is used in the creation of our tools. We have not researched the ingredients in our adhesives and resin for their use of animal byproducts. Philosophically, we maintain that nothing is truly vegan. Life eats life. So that's our statement about whether we're vegan or not. And we felt like that was really important to make because we have so many vegan followers. Yeah. And... We're not trying to make that statement to be like, and fuck all your life choices, vegans, or like, you're, you're way off. Like, they, people do have a right to make those choices and examine their life. And do what they want. And, like... and if, if being vegan helps you examine and think about your relationship with other life forms, that's good. But we think we always kind of like encourage people to think of the, the life form that is plants, the sentience that is plants. Like, um, keep that in mind when you're like, looking at your relationship to living beings, which I think is what veganism is about, right? At its core? Isn't veganism about no harm, basically? I suppose so, as an ideology. <laughs> um, so it seemed, like, important to be, like, we... You know, it's not leather, and I think there's a lot of vegans who are, like, grateful to have a BDSM toy that's not leather. Mm-hmm. 
But again, that's one of those things where it's like, you feel the leather. Oh, it feels like skin. I have skin. Leather's bad or something. You know, it's like one of those direct things. But it's like, yeah, you get a piece of plastic and you don't feel like you've harmed an animal with that piece of plastic. But you've probably harmed countless human beings. Yeah. Countless animals. The entire, like, Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico, (laughs) the, the ozone, whatever. Like, I'm sure many things have been harmed in the making of that plastic product that we use. The people in the factory forming it that don't Mm -hmm. have proper, like, Mm -hmm. safety equipment. One must assume. I mean, we don't know. We are not going through the process of, like, finding out how to source the most ethical fake plants out there. That's not, like, that we're not an eco-friendly company like we said no i mean eventually we'd like to start casting our own pieces out of silicone but we're still using silicone we're still using crazy chemicals yeah we don't know where that silicone was made again it's like it's it's one of those things that's like also you have to choose it's not maybe not maybe choose your battles isn't the right term but it's like choose your priority and i guess our priority is to create the objects that we feel are going to get this particular message about BDSM and eco-fetishism across. And that's what's most important to us because we hope that that, and then even having just conversations like this gets people thinking about things in, in a different way. Yeah. Does that sound right? But, yeah, and I think thinking about the wood, like even wood, you know, like I love that you brought that up when we were talking about how to phrase, is this vegan or not? No, the wood was probably... Yeah. Lots of things were living in that wood when it was felled. And the, the tree itself was a living organism, mm-hmm. and it played host to thousands and probably millions of living organisms. I think also a big thing people forget or don't think about um, is that if you want to call creatures that can walk and swim complex life, in quotations, we are not we are not just one being. We are a host of beings. Right. We, we ourselves are ecosystems for other living things, like uh, uh, the gut floor inside your body, which actually produce neurotransmitters and influence our personalities. Our very personalities are influenced by bacteria in our fucking guts. Those are all living individual creatures that are part of us. We are systems. We're made up of life, other things. Mm -hmm. And those things are, like, some of them are in symbiosis with us. Some of them are not. Um, Some of them are living off of us. Um, Some of them are killing us. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, and that goes down the line, whether you want to talk about a human, a cow, a cat, a fucking dolphin or fish. Like, um... Even even plants, like we're talking about the trees, like are home to bugs and birds and bacteria and interact with the mycelial network of fungus that's in the dirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, And I think that like last statement was like, it's important for us to put that out there too. We maintain that nothing is truly vegan. If the definition of veganism, I guess the working definition we're using is like it's harm, harm free animal byproduct free right Mm. or is it just animal byproduct maybe i should look up what veganism is like see what it says popular popularly understood (laughs) to be um vegan definition a person who does not eat or use animal products using or containing no animal products so byproducts yeah i guess yeah well yeah byproducts uh is like people who don't eat honey because it was created Uh, by bees so there aren't 
bees in there, but, like, that's more, like, there's, like, tiers of veganism, I guess. Yeah, it's, like, interesting how bees are off-limits. Or glue, where it's, like, a horse's hooves. That's a byproduct. Like, it, like horse's hooves have to be trimmed, you know? But there's some people who just, that's that's the tier of veganism that they're into. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. Oh, something about uh, bees are off-limits, but, yeah, like, killing ants is... Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess it depends on the person. I'm sure yeah, there are some, some people who hold themselves, like, strictly to a no-harm lifestyle. But, yeah, but... I guess that it's important. I feel I feel like it's... I really liked that you said life eats life and that that's, like, an important yeah. thing to say. Nothing is truly vegan. The plants that you're eating ate the corpses of something that disintegrated, like, the, the dead bugs or the, the mouse that died in the garden bed or whatever. It disintegrated into the soil and then the plant ate that, like... Plant, the plant can be carnivorous, too. There are carnivore plants, you know? Yeah. Um, all life eats life and requires on that energy exchange to sustain itself. Yeah. And in saying all of this, it isn't, we're not saying that we condone, like, uh, like, frivolous, like, wasting of resources, plants, animals, anything. Like, uh, we're just saying, like, yeah, you be aware of where your shit comes from and what you're talking about and that you know you can't pick and choose what's holier than something else like Mm -hmm. there although like a human might be a quote-unquote more complex life life form than like a stalk of wheat it, does it does that matter? Like what the system is like? Like why, they're both why are those alive. Hierarchies? Yeah. Why are we using hierarchies in this? And... I mean, there's also something to be said for like. I mean, this is another like use of the word nature or natural that I don't know how I feel about, but natural hierarchies. You know, like food chain. You know, there is that. That's food chain is like a thing that's been around a lot longer than we have, right? The bigger predator eats the little predator who eats the other thing that grazes on the other thing. And then that thing, you know, there's like, it's the biggest, all the, the little thing at the very end yeah. eats everything else. Yeah, exactly. Scavenges or whatever. And I mean, there's like, some of that is also just like true to, uh, nature. Mm-hmm. It's like the natural order. Right. Um, so, like, I don't know. I guess I just... The way that I feel about choosing veganism as, like, an ethical choice is, like, if you're really trying to, like, disrupt this order, this, like, natural order that's been around... I mean, when did... He, you you kind of listen to a lot of podcasts that talk about, like, food history, in a sense, like, scavenging, hunting, gathering societies. Like, what's the general consensus of, like, when we started hunting... You remember when we started hunting yeah. uh i don't know if i i mean that's a big question i'm not because there's not, different an, theories yeah, yeah i'm not like a expert on that but i mean we've been hunting and gathering for a very long time yeah i don't remember exactly but, where i was trying to go with it but i mean just like i don't know i just think if you're gonna like break down the ethics of where you're getting your food there's like a much bigger system in place that is the natural order now and by that i mean the system of like capitalism and oppressing others to accrue wealth and like if you want to break down the food chain you actually have to like break down like a much bigger global imperialistic system 
in order to do that. You can't just, yeah, switch what you're eating because you're still supporting the system. And the... Plants are still factory farmed. Like, Like and the people who go to Whole Foods feeling really, really good that they're vegan now are supporting the literal enslavement of other human beings. You can't see it when you buy your dairy-free croissant or whatever, but that's what you're doing, you know? And no matter how good that choice might feel to you, it's like, you need to take down that bigger system to do anything ethically. And how do we do that? I don't fucking know. At the end of the day, we just wanted to make that statement uh, vocally as a, as a, quote, company so that people didn't get it twisted. And if they're vegan, they know this isn't a vegan product. Or they can read the exact definitions of, like, of what we do. So whatever their type of veganism is, they can decide if that's an ethical product for them or not, right? Yeah. I mean, we're not going to tell you what to fucking buy or do. Yeah. We're just going to tell you how it's made. If you like our shit, go for it. Yeah. If you like anything, go for it. If not, don't. And if you have questions or concerns, like, do your research. Yeah. But I think that's important. Whatever. We said those things. Cleared up some, cleared up some questions. Um, what's next? Oh, I'm going to do a broadcast with, broadcast? Podcast? Podcast with Broadly (laughs) coming up here. Um, maybe we'll link that at some point because it'll be about sacred sadism. Um, they're just interviewing me because their whole series is about women and women's first sexual experiences of different kinds. Um, so I'm going to talk about my, one of my first, uh, ecosexual stirrings as a young child. Ooh. Are you excited to hear? Yes. But you kind of already know the story, right? Yeah, but I mean, I don't know what questions will be asked or what Yeah. will be drawn out about it, so. Yeah, I'm excited to get to talk about it. I guess it's, it's also, it's another thing that I think I felt very ashamed about for a long time in my life. Um, not like it was a huge part of my sexuality, but it was definitely some, like, dirty little secret I had. Like, You'll find out when you listen to the podcast <laughs> what exactly I'm talking about, but... Were you worried that I was going to judge you about it? No, no, not really you. I mean, as I've gotten older, I did a lot of weird sexual things as a kid. I've just come to be like, whatever about it. Because, I don't know, I feel like everyone has some weird shit that they've done. Not me. Never did anything weird in my life. There's certain things you've done <laughs> that are weird because they're they're not weird or whatever. <laughs> you know? I'm just kidding. I've done a lot of weird shit. Yeah. Um, so that'll be cool, and I'm glad we got to check in and rant a little. Ranty rant rant. Yes, let's do more <laughs> podcasts. You say that every time. <laughs> hey, there was that one time when we did two in one week, remember? It was a glorious time. Wonderful time. Mercury must have been in I don't know <laughs> about Mercury things. Me either. Oh, we also have a thing coming out uh, in the next issue of Math Magazine. Yes, that should be a really interesting article and photo, photo series. collection yeah. series. Yeah, photo series. You want to talk about what it was? We uh, we did a little like BDSM scene in the sacred sadism world and took pictures and uh, the person we were doing it with is a writer and wrote an article about it so it's kind of like i don't know i sort of think of it as like a bdsm review 
It's not. I mean, she's in a, not reviewing no, us. No, she's not reviewing us. She's writing about her experience, but in but a, it'll be interesting. In a way, it's like a testament to what the experience of being domed by us. Domed by us in the sacred sadism style. So, yeah. Which, like, I mean, again, it was kind of a fantasy fulfillment for me. It was creating this scene that I've had in my head for a long time, and we created it together and fulfilled it together, and that was pretty cool and interesting yeah. and exciting to yeah. do as a couple. Yes. <laughs> Did you get horny about it? I didn't really, but we talked about that. Like, to me, it's almost more the planning process is, like, interesting the actual, like, playing process is fun mm-hmm. in, like, the way that, like, improv acting is fun or whatever, you know, like, that, like, playing, like, acting is fun. The LARP. Yeah, it's yeah. not, like, partic- for me personally, it's not, like, a huge turn-on, but what's a turn-on for me is the psychological process of creating a scene, like, to me crafting and like sculpting and creating is like a turn on for me you know yeah and interesting and bouncing those things those ideas with you and going through that process and going through like negotiating what will work for both of us and figuring that out it was interesting and i'm excited to do more stuff like that so that'll be coming out and um yeah you guys should follow sacred sadism on instagram if you don't already you should email us uh, the email that we'll say at the end of this podcast. I don't want to be redundant. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, if you email us, just send us anything that came to mind when you were listening to this podcast, especially because we understand that we probably have people who listen who are vegans. And like we said, we're not trying to throw shade on you. We have a very specific feeling and ideas about it. Talk to us about your ideas. All right, then. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Cosmic Halitosis. If you have questions or comments or want to yell something at us, email us at cosmic, with a K, halitosis, cosmichalitosis at gmail.com. Please subscribe and like the podcast. And you can follow us on our personal Instagram accounts. I am Gorgeous Taps, and Temba is Tembizzle, T-E-M-B-I-Z-Z-L-E. Thanks for listening.